hearts. Listen up, kids. We will tell the coming generations the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He has established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. The Ephraimites, armed with the bow, turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant, but refused to walk according to his law. They forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. In the sight of their fathers, he performed wonders in the land of Egypt, in the fields of Zoan. He divided the sea and let them pass through it and made the waters stand like a heap. In the daytime, he led them with a cloud and all the night with a fiery light. He split rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink abundantly from the deep. He made streams come out of the rock and caused waters to flow down like rivers. Yet they sinned more still against him, rebelling against the most high in the desert. They tested God in their heart by demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God, saying, can God spread a table in the wilderness? He struck the rock so that water gushed out. And streams overflowed. Can he also give bread or provide meat for his people? Therefore, when the Lord heard, he was full of wrath. A fire was kindled against Jacob, and his anger rose against Israel, because they did not believe in God and did not trust his saving power. Yet he commanded the skies above and opened the doors of heaven, and he rained down on them manna to eat and gave them the grain of heaven. Man ate the bread of angels. He sent them food in abundance. He caused the east wind to blow in the heavens, and by his power he let out the south wind. He rained down meat on them like dust, winged birds like the sand of the seas. He let them fall in the midst of their camp and all around their dwellings, and they ate and were filled. For he gave them what they craved, but before they had satisfied their craving, while the food was still in their mouths, the anger of the Lord rose against them, and he killed the strongest of them and laid low the young men of Israel. There's your encouragement for the morning, gang. <laughs> He, he killed them all while they were still chewing. In spite of this, they still sinned. Despite his wonders, they did not believe. So he made their days vanish like, vanish like a breath and their years in terror. When he killed them, they sought him. They repented and sought God earnestly. They remembered that God was their rock, the most high God, like uh, the most high God, their redeemer. But they flattered him with their mouths. They lied to him with their tongues. Their heart was not steadfast toward him. They were not faithful to his covenant, yet he, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He restrained his anger often and did not stir up all wrath. He remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passes and comes not again. How often they rebelled against him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. Join me in prayer for a moment. Lord God, we approach your word. We pray that it would minister to us. Lord, we come into this time of Thanksgiving this week, um, admittedly um, confessing that it's hard for us to get our mindset um, into the gear of gratitude. Uh, it's difficult for us to, um, to remember your faithfulness and your past mighty deeds. Lord, please open up your word to us this morning. Give me words to speak. Give us all words to hear from you. And we pray that your spirit would be at work in our hearts to, to stir in us uh, the, the fruit that you want to see. And we pray that your son, Jesus Christ, would be glorified and pray in his name. Amen. Yeah, so there's your morning encouragement. He killed them while they were still chewing. But 
It wasn't long ago that we finished our series in Exodus. And, of course, we talked about how God was faithful to deliver his people from Egypt. But we didn't necessarily get into everything that happens afterwards, which is that that very same generation is the generation that we read about here, who they had seen all of these mighty works, and yet they continued to doubt God. And their bones were scattered through the wilderness on what, when, when we're teaching this to our kids, you know, the 40-year the timeout. Uh, they, were, they were told to wait in the wilderness for 40 years, and it was only their children who were able to inherit the promised land. As we approach Thanksgiving, it can be difficult to uh, fully gear yourself towards gratitude and Thanksgiving and the attitude that we're supposed to have, not just because we're already in Christmas, although admittedly that makes it difficult. We were listening to Christmas music this morning. I'll, I'll confess that. That was happening in our kitchen. But there's so many other transitions that also make Thanksgiving and gratitude difficult. Life is full of flux. Life is always in movement. I I received word that that a coworker that that I'm really close to is leaving and is moving across the country this week. We received news last week, and the elders talked this week about Pastor Tim and being on sabbatical. God gives us these, these seasons of flux, of transition, where there's uncertainty, And even though Psalm 100 and other places in Scripture tell us to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise, it's difficult for us to set aside all of the what-ifs that tend to pop up when we're in seasons of transition. We think, what about my family? What about my kids? What about the church? What about the budget? What about my team at work? Whatever it is, whether it's you or someone you know going through transition, I guarantee that transition is affecting everybody in this room this morning. The Bible is far from silent about the idea of transition. In fact, all of redemptive history itself is one giant, multifaceted, unfolding transition from the present evil age to the age to come. And the central redemptive story, the the salvation story of the Old Testament that anchors everything before Christ, the Exodus, transitions into this season of the wilderness where God's people have to experience uh, this transitional season as well. But notice how the ultimate transition landed them in a desert of doubt. In verse 4, the people of the present generation are instructed not to be like this generation of the Exodus that is being discussed. And there's this instruction for us to not hide God's good works from our children. And that's instruction for us parents here, too, that we need to be discipling our children and teaching them to know what God has done. But look at how it refers to what God did in the Exodus. Tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord, his might, the wonders that he has done. In verse 11, the wonders that he has shown them. In verse 12, in the sight of their fathers, he performed wonders. And it talks about how he split the Red Sea and he did all of these mighty miracles to deliver them. And we know that that's a type and a foreshadowing of God's deliverance of us, his people from every nation, from slavery to sin. But them, like us, they they fell guilty to the same problem of when you're in the desert, when you're in transition, it's difficult to be full of gratitude when the what-ifs pop up. They fell prey to the question, will God provide. They gave way to groveling instead of gratitude, murmuring instead of merriment. So why is Thanksgiving so hard for us when we're in these valleys, these deserts, these wastelands that God brings us to through transition? 
first point that I want to bring out from the text this morning is that doubt festers in the desert of forgetfulness. Doubt festers in the desert of forgetfulness. See, because the desert, the, the wasteland in Scripture is, is not just a, an image of scarcity and, and you know, thirst and all of the images that you think of if you think of a, you know, a, a dry, you know, sunny desert that's, that's desolate, it's a wasteland. But the desert is also a place of doubt throughout Scripture. So look with me, if you would, specifically at verses 11 through, um, I'm sorry, not 11. Uh, look at me at, uh, with me at uh, verses 18 through 20. Don't look at me. Look with me. You don't have to look at me. Look with me. Verses 18 through 20. They tested God in their heart by demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God, saying, can God spread a table in the wilderness? He struck the rock so that the water gushed out and the streams overflowed. Can he also give bread and provide meat for his people? Right. So this is this is the anatomy of ingratitude here is that they're asking these these rhetorical, arrogant, boastful questions towards God. Can God really will he really provide for me this time? It shows our chronic forgetfulness as creatures and as people marked by sin. And in this whole passage here, the first part, there's an escalation of the guilt. Of Israel. So in verse 10, it says they didn't keep God's covenant. That, that's a symptom. That's not just the, the problem in their hearts. That's the symptom is that they're disobeying God's commands, right? So if we want to diagnose ourselves today, what are the symptoms that we see? Is there disobedience in our lives? It starts there. But that's a symptom of a deeper problem. Verse 11, they forgot God's works. So instead of being grateful for God's deliverance, the reason they were breaking the commandments and refusing to walk according to God's law is that they forgot his works. By the way, this isn't just like a, you know, if you tell your, your child, go clean your room and you come back you know, 30 minutes later and they haven't even started. Oh, mom, I forgot. That might sound like a good excuse in the child's mind, but that that is a, a forgetfulness that is part of the problem, right? It, you don't exempt yourself from the, because you're responsible to obey and to remember what you were just told, right? That's a culpable forgetfulness. And in Scripture, forgetfulness is not an excuse that, that, that excuses us of our sin. Forgetfulness is a part of the very sin pattern itself. They forgot God's works. Verse 18, they tested and demanded of God what they craved. So they demanded from him. They spoke against him. They tested God in their heart. They demanded the food that they craved. This is not the sincere cry of, give us this day our daily bread. It's a genuine, sincere prayer. We are allowed to ask God, not just for spiritual sounding things. We're allowed to cry out to God when we have need, right? But this is an obstinate demanding of what I crave. In spite of all the miracles and provision, they lashed out. And then verse 22 actually gives us, if those are all the symptoms, there's this escalation. Where, what, what's at the root of the problem? What is the central sin that caused them to rebel in all these different ways in the wilderness, in, in gratitude and in breaking the covenant, uh, worshiping the golden calf as they had previously? What, what's at the center of their disobedience? Verse 22 gives us the answer, because they did not believe in God and did not trust his saving power. So unbelief is at root here. 
Our worries stem from unbelief. The weeds of worry fester in the dark soil of the unknown. So when there's unknown in our lives, when we are in transition, that's where worry tends to do best. But we're called to thanksgiving, as we know. Thanksgiving is this intentional calling to mind of God's mighty works and rejoicing in them. Thanksgiving is not a day. Thanksgiving is a uh, it, it's something you give. It's something you do. It's an attitude. It's not just the name of a holiday on the calendar, right? And and specifically, it's not just sitting around a table talking about things you're grateful for. It's rejoicing in what we know God has done for us and who he is as we call those things back to mind. But we let the, the yawning chasm and the aching hunger, hunger of our immediate circumstances and our worries and our what-ifs drown out the constant reverberation of God's providence, and it deafens us to his goodness, that for which we're called to give thanks. So how can we engage in thanksgiving even when our doubt is festering in this desert of forgetfulness? There's actually, I think, uh, an answer that's hidden inside one of the complaints of the people of Israel. Look with me. At verse 19, they spoke against God, saying, Can God spread a table in the wilderness? We might ask, Can God feed his people who are in transition, or, or better yet, does he, not just can he? First point is doubt festers in the desert of forgetfulness, but our second point is yes, God is the God who spreads a table in the wilderness. They're asking this to complain against God, but yes, He is the one who unrolls this feast in the wasteland. At our our house, we're hosting Thanksgiving for the first time, um, so we feel like we're officially adulting. Um, Hannah is making her first turkey. We have a 19-pound bird in the fridge, so your your intercession is much appreciated uh, for her. We're having 11 people crammed into our place, um, so it'll be exciting. But Hannah is not going to wake up just on the spur of the moment, you know, kind of roll out of bed at like 1030 in the morning on Thursday. And, you know, maybe I'll, you know, stick the turkey in the microwave and and get the coffee brew. And it right. There's there's a thoughtfulness. There's an intentionality for weeks. We've been amping up for this shopping lists, um, Pinterest boards. I learned a new word. It's called tablescaping. So not landscaping, but tablescaping. So like you think of, you know, what you lay out on the table. So like there's there's meticulous thought in detail into the entire tablescape in the Kochman household on Turkey Day. God is the God who spreads a table for us in the wilderness. Even though this is a complaint that they're uttering, can he? I think there's still a point for us here. God is the one who unrolls these ornate tablescapes and calls his people to a rich banquet. And the question, the rhetorical question is, you know, can he? They're saying that as they're complaining, can God do this? Not only can he, he he can, but why wouldn't he? Let's ask that question. Why wouldn't God feed his people and provide for them? Why would God perform such miraculous acts as we just read about in Exodus Turning the Nile's waters to blood, the the radiant North African sun into a daylight that was so thick you could feel it, you could practically chew it, right? He turned the cradles of Israel's, uh, uh, rather, of of Egypt's firstborn 
into a graveyard? Why would he do all of these mighty miracles only to leave them starving and scatter their bones in the desert? Right? It'd be pointless. Why would he split a sea to send on a mountain, give his law, and covenantally marry his people Israel only to leave them without the basic necessities of life? And we have to ask ourselves when we're in the desolate wilds of transition, difficult circumstances in life, why wouldn't he provide for us too? Of course he would. He's brought us this far. Look at the end of the psalm real quick. The whole psalm kind of follows this theme. It talks about their stubbornness, their rebellion, their ingratitude, and God's continued faithfulness to them. But in verses 70 through 72, the last three verses there, there's, there's some rays of hope. It says, God chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the nursing ewes, he brought them to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance. With upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. Of course, we know this is speaking of a better David, right? The son of David, who's the good shepherd. If Jesus Christ is a good shepherd who's brought us this far, why would he forget us now? What do I have to be thankful for when Thursday rolls around and it's my turn at the table to share? Well, God has brought me this far, right? He who gave his own son for us, how will he not freely also give us with him all things? Romans 8, that's the promise that we have. By the way, lest we turn this into a high-octane health and wealth prosperity gospel, we're not promised a certain amount in our bank accounts. We're not promised a certain amount of surplus food in the refrigerator. We are promised our basic needs will be met insofar as we're seeking God's kingdom and pursuing him first. A passage you all know, Matthew chapter 6, verses 30 through 33. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or who's bringing the cranberries? No, it doesn't say that. Sorry. Or what shall we wear for the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and these things will be added to you. All these things will be added to you, our basic necessities in life. Or look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. Paul says to the church in Philippi, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Because we're so prone to forget, I think it's good that every now and then we just write a note to ourselves. There was a time several months ago, and I wouldn't remember this if I hadn't written a note on my phone, um, but there was a time several months ago, I think it was before Lydia was born, actually, where, you know, I was going through the budget and it was the beginning of the month and we'd had some unforeseen expenses come in. And I was looking at it, I was just like, we could, we could really use another $500 to make this month work. And uh, I remember praying to God just on a whim saying like, Lord, you know, I, I know that we're not promised prosperity and money and the, the gospel is not a get rich quick scheme, right? Uh, you know, uh, giving all these caveats, right, in my prayer, but saying, God, you know, $500 would help us. If you can make this happen, that'd be awesome. And just kind of laid that at God's feet um, in faith. And this does not happen for me often. Believe me, if, if it happened often, I would, I would, I would be wearing nicer clothes, but, but God provided. And it within, I think a week or two, um, just on a whim, just as a gift, we got a, um, uh, a card in the mail um, from my in-laws with a $500 gift card for Target, which in our household is as good as cash. 
<laughs> and I just remember being blown away, like, of all amounts. I mean, it's a nice round number, but of all amounts, the exact one that, that I had prayed for. And I share that, not, not be, it's not about that amount. It's not about the money, right? You guys understand that. But we're so prone to forget. And yet God is the God who spreads these wilderness feasts for us. Well, what does that look like other than money, other than food, right? Other, other than making the bottom line month to month in your budget or your household, wherever you're at. What does that really look like? Because we're, we're talking about more than just food and clothing here, I think. First point is that doubt festers in the desert of forgive, forgetfulness. Second is that God is the God who spreads a table in the wilderness. And third is that Christ is our feast. Christ is our feast. He's our portion. So how does this point us to Christ? In the parched wasteland of our own sin and depravity, God enfleshes his son for us to take in, to consume by faith, embracing his atoning death as our death, his resurrection as our life, and his promised return as our blessed hope. We commemorate this fact every time, actually, we partake of the Lord's Supper, which we're going to do uh, in a bit this morning. Not that the physical elements of, of bread and wine or, or grape juice or anything like that represent anything, but that they depict for us the fact that Christ says, here I am, have me, consume me, take me into yourself. He is our nourishment that leads to eternal life. This is where the Bible traces this biblical theme of being fed in the wilderness, of having this, this pop-up roadside banquet in the desert. It traces that theme and it finds its fulfillment in Christ. So consider a few selections from John chapter 6. And if you want to turn there, um, feel free to. I'm going to read uh, a couple different groups of verses. John chapter 6, verses 32 through 35. Jesus says, and he's debating with the, the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. Right. So he's drawing on their experience in the wilderness. He's talking about the manna that came down from heaven. This is ironic because this is right after the feeding of the 5000 and all of the Jews should have been putting two and two together by now. Yet they weren't. And Jesus says, it's not about the food that I just gave you. It's not about the manna that your fathers received. This is pointing to me, Jesus says, something greater the greater banquet in the wasteland. Jesus says, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Uh, jump to verse 47, John 6. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died as they were still chewing. We read in Psalm 78, this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So not a literal eating of Christ. We don't believe in transubstantiation. We don't believe in consubstantiation. We don't believe that the, that the elements of communion of the Lord's Supper, or whatever you want to call it, that sacrament, that ordinance, they don't have any mystical power, any actual uh, connection to the physical body and blood of Christ. This is the feasting of 
faith, of receiving Christ and his benefits for all that he is for you, uh, as, as the catechism question says, receiving and resting on Christ alone for salvation as he is offered to us in the gospel. Verse 53. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Of course, this is the reason that the Jews thought he was advocating cannibalism, right? They didn't understand this, but we need to understand this today, that we are called to feast on Christ by faith. If we have not received Christ into ourselves for all that he is as Savior, as Lord, realizing that he's the only way to eternal life, we must do that today. That's the call today. 1 Corinthians 10 draws out this same connection between the feast in the wilderness where God's people needed provision and the true sustenance offered to us in Christ. Verses 3 and 4, it says, All, meaning the Israelites, all of the Israelites ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock. And in the ESV, you might have a capital R there because it's reference to Christ, the rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ And then in Revelation 21, drawing from Isaiah 55, John quotes Jesus in saying, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. So Christ says, have me, have all of my benefits, my body, my blood, the the springs of of living water, of, of bread that will satisfy your soul forever. Not only give you eternity in heaven, but also make life possible and bearable here on earth now even in seasons of doubt and difficulty and transition. We're all in transition from this present evil age to the age to come, as I mentioned earlier. This age has already dawned when Christ came and inaugurated God's kingdom. And we still wait for the true, ultimate, final, consummate marriage supper of the Lamb. When we see Jesus face to face, right, that's the banquet that we're invited to. But in the meantime... We're sojourners plodding on towards our eternal home, following in procession behind this God who readily erects these roadside banquets. So what we want to do this morning is engage together in community in thanksgiving. We're going to um, be taking the Lord's Supper soon, and, and Matt will give some introduction into that. But I just want to transition by noting that, that the word that we often associate with this ordinance, at least in other Christian traditions, uh, we use the term at times Eucharist, which has sometimes been mistaken to mean some things that it doesn't or perhaps shouldn't mean. But it, it comes from the Greek Eucharisto, or Eucharisteo, I should say, which literally is you, which is good. Think of euphoria as a good feeling, euphoria, Eucharisto. Uh, and kuristeo, which is based on the charis, or grace, the word for grace, charis, it literally could be translated God's grace works well. That's the literal meaning of it, but it's often translated thanksgiving. And this term thanksgiving is used every time Jesus institutes it in the Gospels. It says when he had broken the bread and gave thanks. That's the word eucharisteo. Uh, and it's also used in 1 Corinthians 10 in the context of giving thanks for your food, which is the same chapter that earlier makes reference to God feeding his people in the wilderness and Christ satisfying us with his life. 
So we want to go into this time of Eucharisteo. We want to go into this time of Thanksgiving, realizing that God is the God, in spite of all of the doubting and rhetorical questioning of God's people in Psalm 78. God is the God who spreads the table in the wilderness. Join me in a word of prayer. God, we know there's many circumstances in this room. People who had an amazing week, amazing month, amazing year. Others who are feeling the weight of transitions um, in their family or their life uh, or other, other areas, Lord, maybe that they're not even allowed to, to share with others, uh, things that they have to keep confidential. Lord, there's, there's all sorts of flux always happening in this life, and, and we confess that nothing uh, is permanent. Even this wonderful church family that you've given us, uh, Lord, we, we know that, that this won't be permanent until we reach heaven and we're united with all of God's people forever. And Lord, when we're in the, the desert, the, the uncertain places and seasons as we prepare for what you have in store for us. We thank you that you meet our basic needs. You give us all the food and, and clothing that we need to survive, even when things are tight. More than anything, God, you give us the gift of Jesus. You give us eternal life. You give us a Savior dying for us, rising for us. And we want to thank you for that and commemorate his saving work. And so, Lord, open our hearts. Help us to give thanks to you. Help us not to doubt you. Help us to believe in you and bring to mind your mighty deeds. And we pray that you'd be glorified this morning and in our lives this week and beyond. In Jesus' name, amen.
Savior say, and thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, what to pray? Find in me thine all in all. Is Jesus paid it all? All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain.
of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilled. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our Dark is the stain that we cannot hide. What can avail to wash it away? Look, there is flowing a crimson tide. Whiter than snow you may be today. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace, freely bestowed on all who believe. You that are longing to see His face, will you this moment His grace receive? Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our Let's end on uh, that song. So if you'll stand with us, we'll finish up with that song.
marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt, yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there with the blood of the Lamb was filled. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our Dark is the stain that we cannot hide. What can avail to wash it away? Look, there is flowing a crimson tide. Whiter than snow you may be today. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sins. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace. Freely bestowed on all who believe. That are longing to see His face Will you this moment His grace receive Grace, grace, God's grace Grace that will pardon and cleanse within Grace, grace, God's grace Grace that is greater than all our sins Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. Lord God, it is your grace that we can be ever thankful for. No matter what, your grace poured out on those who believe. Lord God, your blood uh, flowed for us. Your body was broken for us. And we just pray that we would be ever thankful for that day in and day out. When we arise, that we would be able to remember you, remember that blood that was spilled for us, and, and reform uh, our lives every day to be able to live and breathe for you, Lord God. We pray that you get all the glory and all the honor in your name. Amen.